G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. So much in our fallen world likes to maintain the status quo, and that leads to mediocrity. But when you're following Jesus, you always are making an ascent up the mountaintop. And in today's program, we're going to see that Jesus lifts the standard as he continues to give the Sermon on the Mount. Our series is called The Kingly Messiah, Understanding the Gospel of Matthew, Part 1, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. And we are getting into the strong teaching, and here the lesson is called Lifting the Standard. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 31 to 42. In our last program, we looked at the issue of strong teaching, and we touched on, or began to touch on, the issue of divorce and remarriage. But we ran out of time. So let me read to you those two verses in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 42, or actually just the first two verses, 31 and 32. It has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. All right, now, how do you deal with this, what we call hot potato issue? It's hot among Christians, probably more than anybody. It's certainly a big issue in Christianity, much less so with fellow monotheists, the Jews and the Muslims. Now, apparently, according to the Jewish historian Josephus Flavius and the second century Jewish figure Rabbi Akiva, you could easily, quote unquote, put away your wife, which is another word for divorce. And you didn't have to have any particularly profound reason. It just may be she doesn't please you anymore. You don't love her anymore. And so just write a little piece of paper, I divorce you, and adios, it's on the way. So that's Josephus and Akiva. Yes, Moses did have a clause about putting away the wife. But Jesus says the reason Moses did that was because of the hardness of people's hearts. And so Jesus raises the standard very, very high. He says, if you divorce your wife, you're causing her to commit adultery on the assumption, of course, that she remarries. And those who marry a divorced woman commit adultery. If you think this shakes people today, it was like a tsunami 
in the first century. Because like today, in the first century AD, the Jewish people were used to the notion of easy divorce. Now, even Jesus, with his high standard, appears to be giving an exception clause. He says, if you put away your wife, except for the cause of fornication. And therefore, if this is an escape clause that does allow divorce and remarriage, what does it actually mean? We don't want to uh, stray from what the Lord is trying to say. And the Greek word for fornication, the very thing that gives you an escape clause, is pornea, P-O-R-N-E-I-A, pornea, which is where we get the English word pornography. Pornea means illicit sexual relations or intercourse. Now, there could possibly be a second escape clause found in the book of 1 Corinthians 7.15. And that clause is, if an unbeliever deserts his or her believing spouse, the believing spouse is called to peace. Some interpret this as meaning that you can remarry if your unbelieving spouse has left you because they have broken the marriage vow and you're free to remarry. And, and many denominations do, but perhaps not all. So there's two escape clauses, we're told. One is fornication, or basically sexual immorality, and the other is desertion. Some denominations choose a third escape clause, and that's proven physical abuse, because proven physical abuse is violating and breaking the vow. I have more to say about this, but let us read the whole portion of Scripture, and then let's return and bring some resolution. Now I want to read from the entire portion, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 42. Our lesson is called Sermon on the Mount, Lifting the Standard. And again, it's Matthew 5, verses 31 to 42. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Again ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, neither by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communications be, yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Reading is from Matthew 5, verses 31 to 42. And our title is Sermon on the Mount, Lifting the Standard. Yes, Jesus, in the early part of his ministry, gives this amazing, world-famous sermon 
He has strong words to say about those offensive things that cause people to sin, and he speaks also in no uncertain terms about divorce and remarriage. Here we will continue to see the standard lifted. So let me review here. Divorce is like a traffic accident. You need to do everything in your power to avoid it. But it does happen. It appears from everything we can say that despite the strong words of Jesus, there is the possibility of divorce and remarriage without sinning, without being called an adulterer, if there's an issue of sexual immorality. Now, can I just say that if there is sexual immorality, it's all wrong, it's all bad, it, it's all stinks. However, a one-night tryst is not the same thing as serial adultery. And if you race to the divorce court from a one-night tryst, Please consider your actions, because after all, everything, just about everything, is forgivable when there's repentance and contrition and the fruit thereof. So just make sure it's actually irreversible, irretrievable, unbreakable, never be in a hurry to go to the divorce court. A second practical thing, it's always best to talk to your pastor and your denominational head. There's two things. One is be in accord with the teaching of your church and the denominations vary. What are the escape clauses, if they even believe there's any? One that I'm aware of is the fornication is an escape clause, allowing divorce and remarriage, possibly the desertion clause of 1 Corinthians 7.15. And the third thing is proven physical abuse because it's violating the marriage vows to love, to cherish, and so on. But in addition to what your denomination says, it's also what your own prayerful conscience tells you. And be at harmony with your church and with your conscience, and you probably cannot go wrong that way. But it's best to not even see divorce as an option when you're courting, when you marry. It's there as an extremely last resort, if it's even allowed at all. So bear that in mind, and I believe it will bring healthier and better families. Then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, we move on to the issue of swearing. Now, this is not referring to profanity, because we know what Jesus' attitude would be to such noxious words. Swearing is more about making an oath, often for emphasis, about a particular course of action. We don't want to say or do anything rash or irreverent. Here Jesus is saying not to swear or make a binding oath at all. Nevertheless, be a person who is a man or woman of your word and keep your promises. Can I say that again? If we're going to be salt and light, known as people of integrity, known as those that are responsible and trustworthy, keep your word. If you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. If you say you're going to respond at a certain time, do it. If you say you're going to pay a bill and you're going to do it at such a date, do so. If for some unforeseen reason you're delayed, then communicate. Don't keep quiet about your broken promise. Nobody can read your mind. So be a person of a firm conviction. Keep your word. Be solid. Be serious. And that's even more important than ever making an oath. An oath is meant to project that you mean what you say and it's, it's irrevocable. But people can break that. So why don't you just have the character that is so sterling strong you don't even need to make an oath. People know that when you say it, consider it done. It is disgraceful 
to make commitments, promises, and vows, and then break them without a thought of the hurt or consequences that ensue. So in short, don't make an oath, but do keep your promises. And then Jesus goes on, do not swear at all. In Matthew 5, 34 to 36, he says that you should not swear or make an oath in any case. Certainly don't make an oath invoking heaven, because that's where God lives. That's where his throne resides. Do not swear by the earth, because the earth is God's footstool. And do not swear by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king, which is quoting from Psalm 48 and verse 2. This is an interesting point. Jerusalem, in some ways, is like any other city, with all the problems and vices and some virtues that a normal city would have. But Jerusalem is also in a special category. It is called the city of the great king. It has a lot of titles. It's also known as the city of David and the city of God. We believe that Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah, the anointed one, will return to Jerusalem and there he will rule and reign, not just over Israel, but over the whole world. Is that perhaps why we're seeing such turmoil and conflict and anxiety and obsessive attention focused on this city of less than a million people? Is that what it helps to explain the second psalm? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The reason? Because God has set his king on the holy hill of Zion. <laughs> this term Zion is a biblical term, but boy, it is politically charged now because of Zionism. But whatever the case is, Jesus tells us Jerusalem is the city of the great king. And therefore, we're not to swear by this city nor even by one's head because we are powerless to make one strand of hair white or black. So how should we communicate? Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, simple. Don't swear, don't invoke an oath, keep it simple, and let your yes be yes and your no be no. To go beyond this can lead to evil or even to the evil one himself because the evil one, Satan, the dragon, the old serpent, the devil, is a liar and the father of lies. You cannot trust him at all. And then Matthew chapter 5, 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In the law of Moses, it speaks of equivalent retribution. And that's in Exodus 21, 24 and Leviticus 24 and verse 20 and Deuteronomy 19, 21. All these are retribution of an equivalent manner. If someone takes your eye, you can take their eye. If they punch you in the mouth and you lose a tooth, you can take their tooth. A hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. But here's the Jesus way. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus does a 180 degree turn. He's telling people not to respond to evil, but not to resist it either. One is the famous turn the other cheek clause. This applies to persecution, whereby Jesus says you are blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. It may be more accurate to see this verse as teaching do not fight fire with fire. Do not answer evil with evil. Because oftentimes revenge can be more severe than the first blow. Even if it's equivalent, you're doing the same evil thing that the other person did to you. So you're just as guilty as they. Remember that the patient meek endure in the face of injustice, demonstrate strength and restraint, and possess a godly demeanor. This is what Jesus did during his passion. This is earth-inheriting meekness in action. And then Matthew chapter 5, verse 40, the court. If a man takes you to court 
and wins your coat, give him your cloak as well. It is said that the coat is the outer garment and the cloak the inner. What about the second mile phrase of Matthew 5.41? This famous verse is if you're commanded to go one mile, go a second. In these verses, we start off with insults, then the taking of our goods, then the command to undergo physical toil. If you seek to avenge, you cease to be stronger and graced in meekness, and you will lose your reward. If you meekly, patiently endure, again, like Jesus did in the Passion, God will do the avenging, and your reward will be great. And then, what else? You will give to your enemy, you will be putting flaming coals on their head, and God will reward you. Let me read it to you from Romans twelve nineteen to 21. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. This is so in harmony with Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. Then he goes in verse 42, give to those that ask. As a general principle, we should give to those who ask, especially if they are less fortunate to us. Now, this is not a blank check, however, and there may be good reason to withhold requests, especially if it's going to be used for evil purposes, but it's still a general principle. So, what is our lesson for life, considering that our lesson is called lifting the standard? Our lesson for life is there are times to give and times to withhold. Be led by the Holy Spirit, and you can't go wrong. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations education, and thank you for liking our page. You can also go to our homepage and subscribe to the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter, giving you future-ready advice with value-added communication on articles involving the Bible, victorious Christian living, and current events in the light of God's Word. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, for your wonderful Word, and thank you that we by your grace, can put into practice lifting the standard, soaring with the eagles, reaching mountaintops. Through Christ the Lord we pray. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.